Hello, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and this week I'm recommending an Apple TV series. And I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And this week I am recommending an autobiographical graphic novel. Again, like last time, just want to take a minute to thank everybody who supports the show, whether it's through coffee or signing up for the newsletter. We have links to both in our show notes, especially to there are a couple people that have actually signed up for the coffee subscription. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know it's so lovely. Also, just, you know, we really appreciate everyone that's been reviewing and rating the show on podcast apps. And so if you felt inclined to do that, that would be awesome. But even better would be please tell a friend about the show. Things continue to get gnarlier out there for queer people. It's um, pretty scary right now. And that's part of why we keep doing this. You know, we're really committed to bringing these recommendations of positive queer representation to you all. All right. You have news. <clears throat> what's going? Yeah, what's it's not going good on news. here? It's not good <laughs> news. I got COVID again, which is why I have my sexy, sexy radio voice yes. on uh, with my <sighs> equally sexy radio face. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, PSA to everybody out there: if you think you just have a cold, maybe stay home. That's gonna yes. be my uh, main thing to. Re- to request because I finished my job like we discussed last time I got a new job Woo! very excited Woo-hoo. about it thankfully taking a couple weeks off and um yeah recovering from COVID because somebody showed up to a thing thinking they had a cold and they did not but what does this make now is this three time number three their time's uh, a charm four I, yeah it's like Two with absolutely confirmed positive tests. Another almost certainly to where my, it was back when, before they had the rapid tests that everybody could Uh, pick up. mm -hmm. And two people in my house tested positive and my doctor was like, don't bother, you have COVID. (laughs) So yeah, and then who knows, there's been like a couple little colds and stuff in between that we didn't, you know, we didn't test and we, but again, like I just said with my PSA, we stayed home. Right. um, Just in case. So I feel way better than when I had it in June because when I had it in June, it was like, that was rough. It like, I laid mm-hmm. on the couch for a couple of weeks. Um, that one probably took six months to fully recover from. So oh, I was really? pretty nervous this time, but it feels like a bad head cold. And like, I recognize it's not, and I still have to be careful. And I'm going to do a graduated return to exercise like I did last time. So I guess the good thing that happened last time was I did learn about like return to exercise protocols. I'm, I'll have to admit, I'm a little bit put out because I was doing so good on this mm-hmm. new lifting program. I like to use the Beachbody app to do workout programs. And Joel Freeman released Lift More recently, which is like a sequel to his Lift 4 L-I-I-F-T because so, it's like lifting with hit. Oh my God, it's so fucking good. Because here's the thing about me. I refuse to sign up for gym memberships. I haven't had a gym membership in over 15 <laughs> years. And the reason for that is that I failed kindergarten. I did not fail kindergarten, actually. I was the valedictorian. Of course but, you were. <laughs> you know, did I ever tell you that? No, but I 100% believe you. Do you know why I was the kindergarten valedictorian? Do you want to guess? Because you could spell and you could, you knew the alphabet. Because I was the only kid in my class who knew how to read. I walked into <laughs> kindergarten knowing how to read. I taught myself when I was four, which like I don't remember, but my parents said was the only possibility. And so I could read the little <laughs> speech and I still have the speech tucked you away somewhere. In the book of like school memorabilia that my parents kept for my parents, my mom kept for me. Um, now, do people so, really? I mean, don't you know how to read by the end of kindergarten? Not at that grade level. No, no. Like I walked into kindergarten and I could read at probably like a grade one or two grade level already. Okay. Um, and so it was like it was an actual speech with sentences, and it wasn't like the ball is blue. Like not that kind of like <laughs> kindergarten kind of reading. Dick and Jane. But yeah. So I, the reason I joke about failing kindergarten is that I fucking hate sharing at gyms. Don't make me wait for equipment. I cannot do it. And so I've spent all this time like building up all this equipment. So then when there's platforms like Beachbody, it's perfect. And so, yeah, if anybody's looking for a thing to do and you're on Beachbody, live more is so good. And I cannot get, wait to get back to it in like four to six weeks. But I'm going to tell you that I've been walking because 
Today's temperature, for example, is 75 degrees. Like 75 degrees Fahrenheit Ooh. is amazing. It's the perfect walking weather. And uh, spring is here. So I'm going to start walking. That's beautiful. Get out there I and do think some trails. For the Canadians, that's probably like summer 22 to 24 degrees. That's got to be Sorry, warm. I that. say the Canadians as though it's not also like all the other people Europe. that listen to the podcast <laughs> from every other country. That's um, yeah. So for the Canadians and everyone else that's not American, it's probably like 22 to 24 degrees. Oh, God, that's so nice. It is. That's good. As soon as I stop See? sounding like this and I'm all done with like coughing and sneezing and shit, I'm going to start going for walks in the neighborhood. It is not as warm as where you're at. Let's play a fun game for Chris called I'm going to bring up our local weather. It's three oh degrees goodness. Celsius today here, which is ba, 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 37, 37 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> at least it's above freezing, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that. But look at that periods of but snow, f- chance yeah. of flurries. But then by Friday, so we're recording this on Sunday as per usual. By Friday, it's supposed to be 61 Fahrenheit or 16 Celsius. So yes, I'm going to enjoy my migraine. Oh, at the God, end of the week sucks. yeah yeah but because i can't go out but i was planning anyway on using this time kind of between jobs like i'm really seeing it as like a transition time and it was really interesting to see um so i was with the com- the last company i was at for like seven years and so i held like a lot of knowledge in my head i was kind of like one of the quote unquote company historians if you will like with all the things mm. that i knew and all the context and it was really funny because like a couple days after not being there anymore, like I still have the knowledge. It's not like it's fallen out of my head, but like I don't have to hold it so tightly. Right. And I felt so much more creative. Oh. And so I said before that I was learning how to draw, but like I had kind of put a pause on that in those last couple of weeks at work because there was a lot of like coffees and dinners and catching up and knowledge transfer and all that. And it's like been drawing every day. I've been reading, like I started reading, um, actually the one for you and I didn't put it below in the, what are we watching or reading? So I'm going to tell you now. Oh, what? So I've been reading, there's this long form. And when I say long form, I mean, 300 page interview with Nick cave that came out in print in September. Like you can buy it as a book. It is called faith, hope, and carnage. And it's so beautiful. And I've never seen an interview that long before where it's clearly like question from interviewer, answer from interviewee. And like, I didn't, I knew very little about Nick Cave. Obviously I've heard of like him and the Bad Seeds. I know he's a musician. I know he's this like lyricist, but I didn't know that two of his sons died. And that Mm. especially one of them when he died, however many years ago, was quite young. Like, I think he was an early teenager or something like that. And so that's informed, like it changed his life as it would. And so, so much of what I've seen so far in this book is like, it is about like, there's things about like loss and grief and how it changes the craft and how, and because you're such a music person, Mm -hmm. I think you might, I might enjoy it. I think you might really dig this one. And it's like even reading passages, because I came to it via an interview with him. I think it might have been in The New Yorker or something like that. But it was a woman who had lost her husband was interviewing him. And so it's this like, you know, they both share grief in the way they talked Mm. about it. Like it was so beautiful. So, yeah, that's a great one. So I've just been doing I've been trying to do things to feed my soul. It's been really, really nice. I really like it. What about you? What have you been up to? Oh my goodness. So, um, saw a friend come in town and we went to a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not football. Baseball is not football. So I don't <laughs> enjoy it as much. Baseball? At I'm all. sorry. I'm going to say it. And for all the people that love baseball, I'm going to apologize in advance, but like baseball is fucking boring. And I've had people tell me, yes. you got to go to a live game. I've been to a live game. I've been to see the Blue Jays. I've been to see the Tigers. It's hard. I mean, we have a really beautiful stadium. I will give the Royals that. And we have a horrible team. So it's really hard to want to be excited about going to a game when your team is so bad and the stadium is so good and everything is overpriced. So it's hard to, to justify having a really good time there. 
because of course we lost and there's a bunch <laughs> of people behind us that were like, we haven't scored in 17 innings, 18 innings, 19 innings. And I'm just like, oh my God, are we that bad? Like we just literally started the season. This is our first thing. Chris, do you think it's worse because your football team is so good? That there's a part of you that's like, I mean, we're Kansas City. We're good at <laughs> we're good at sports, <laughs> except for baseball, apparently. Like, well, we are so we're really good at soccer, women's soccer. Mm. Uh, I'm stalling because I'm looking up the uh, Kansas City Royals. I'm looking up our. I don't even think we. Shit, even right now, it's like top of the ninth we're down seven to something because there's some ad that's covering up the score i think it's seven to three Mm. so yeah seven to three so i'm gonna look because we've had like we've played what three or four games now Mm -hmm. um and i'm gonna look at the stats i'm stalling again because i'm really curious i think we we are in last place i mean i can't imagine we're not oh no see i think we're better off just watching a league of their own again i think you're right because at least that was fun yeah. And queer. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Okay. So we have a listener question. Harley asks, are there any books that you've read or written that made a big impact on your life? And what were they? Tara? Okay. So we've had questions kind of sort of similar to this before, but it was mostly like a, oh, what, what, what are your favorite queer books? What's mm-hmm. your, you know, what's the big, and I decided to approach this one a little differently because why not? I felt like it was pretty broad. And right. I thought, wouldn't it be kind of fun to do a review of my life in books? Mm-hmm. Like, what were the books kind of throughout my life that really impacted me? So like I said before, I taught myself how to read. I don't really remember. I don't remember. Not you even. Rem- do you remember really. your I don't first re- book? No. The Cat in the Hat. Mine. No, I don't remember my first book at all. I know I read a lot of Dr. Seuss when I was a kid. I basically read anything I could get my hands on. I read yeah. Reader's Digest at my grandma and grandpa's house because that's all they had. I read, actually, you know what I read at their house too? Do you remember Reader's Digest used to put out abridged books? No. Yeah, they would put out volumes and it would be abridged books and there'd be like three or four in a volume. And so it would be like, maybe, maybe I remember that. Like, I know some of them were romance novels and I think they made some of them like less dirty and just like cut out some of the other content or something like that. So Mm -hmm. like, I would read literally anything I I could, but the first ones that I really remember reading and I remember it was like, I remember them on the bookshelf in the basement of my childhood home, which is where my parents still live, but they've, you know, completely redone a lot of things. Right. And they did the whole, you know, like the books and boards making your own bookshelf, like hacking. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not books and boards, the blocks and boards. So like cement blocks and boards. And my mom had some like decades old, like probably original copies of the Trixie Belden books (gasps) and the Bobsy twins books. Can we just say that I, that Trixie Belden doesn't get enough hurrah because it's always, uh, who's the other one? Nancy Drew. She always gets the glory. Who is fine. Yeah, but Trixie Belden and Honey. Fuck, who didn't have a crush on the Honey? The honey best. the best. Yes. They're both the best. Yeah. I know, like badass girl bosses. Right. Doing their thing. And so I really remember those. I also had a huge Babysitter's Club phase and then followed by Sweet Valley High, of course, because, you know, <laughs> 80s. But with a Babysitter's Club, like, I still remember... I remember a lot of them, but I think the the moment, and it was a really foundational moment for me as a reader of understanding the way books can move you. And it was the book when Claudia Kishi, of course, the like arty style one, her grandma died. And that, I think that was the first time I cried reading a book. Reading a book. Mm. And I like sobbed. Because it was just like, it was so sad. Claudia and her grandma had had a fight and then her grandma died before they could. Yeah. And so I'm like 10, Uh. like like weeping (laughs) kind of on the couch. (laughs) And then kind of the next one after that, which was just like a, oh, like mind fucking blown. Because like I said, like I was a pretty precocious reader. I was reading above my grade level and my, one of my parents' friends said, well, have you read The Hobbit or A Wrinkle in Time? 
and I read both of them, but it was a wrinkle in time that really was like, Mm -hmm. whoa, like that idea that we can be transported to totally different worlds was huge for me. And then when I was 14 and I was in Mrs. McKinnon's class, this woman, like when you talk about people that changed your life, this woman changed the entire trajectory of my life. Nice. She was my English teacher four times, (gasps) which you have to keep in mind, Canada, not all of Canada, Ontario at that time had a fifth year of high school. And so I had her for like grade nine English, OAC English, which was that fifth year. There was a creative writing. And then somewhere in the middle, there was another English class I took Mm. with her. And when I was in her class in grade nine, she said, have you read Jane Eyre? And I said, no. And she took me right to it in the (laughs) library and said, you need to read this book. And then I think I read that book 20 or 30 times over the course of the next decade because there was just something like it just felt so passionate and so incredible. And now, of course, as an adult, I'm like, that guy was a fucking problem. And he asked her to be his mistress when his wife is locked in the attic. What an unethical prick. (laughs) But there's still like, it was just such a beautiful thing. And then a couple of years later, oh yeah, it must've been grade 11 English. She would loan me her own personal books because she knew how much I loved to read. Oh, that's nice. And so when I read The English Patient, which was another one of those, like just seeing how beautiful literature can be, and especially Mm -hmm. Canadian literature, because Michael Ndache is a Canadian author, you know, it was because she handed it to me and was like, you should read this book. And she handed me Margaret Atwood and she handed me The Woman in White. Like all these, like clearly she loved both Canadian and Victorian literature and she really instilled that in me. But the thing that she did that was so incredible is when I was in OAC English that, like I said, that fifth year of high school. And it was the reason there was this fifth year is it was meant to be a university prep year. Um, And she took us to the university one day as a class. And before that, I thought, well, I'm just going to, I don't know, I'm going to go into early childhood education and I'll work in a daycare center or something like that because I didn't know what to do. And I knew I liked babysitting and that seemed fine. And she made sure that for one of the classes, we had read the play that they would be talking about that day and went to the university. And I was so inspired and I was practically sitting on my hands. Like I so wanted to participate because I knew, (laughs) I knew things and I went home and I actually took that class when I was in grade 12. Like I took it a year earlier than I needed to just because I was so excited and so inspired. And I came home and I said, I want to go to university and I want to take English. And my dad, a factory worker said, what are you going to do with that? And I said, I don't know, (laughs) but Uh, I want it, but I want to end. And I did. And like, literally that changed the whole path of my life. Like I wouldn't have ended up going to graduate school for an English degree after that. I wouldn't have ended up working where I did and out in Calgary and having the family I did and all of that. So like, I will always be grateful to Mrs. McKinnon because she fed my love of reading, but also like she was horrified that I wanted to work at a daycare center, which like no shame in it. Like it's good work, but she's right. That would not have fed me or kept me interesting. Um, Barney's version by Mordecai Richler, another incredible Canadian novel written from the perspective of it's this like murder mystery, but it's also told by somebody who has increasingly worse dementia. Oh. And that was the book where I fell in love with unreliable narrators. Mm. And so now, like even listening to The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I always go back to how reliable is this narrator? <laughs> is this like, is this, is this a thing? The Bible I started reading more in high school. High school is probably the first time I read the Bible cover to cover. I've done it a few times. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we talked in the past about like I was, you know, raised evangelical. And the Bible is one of those books that like it had an impact. It still pops up in my head sometimes. I'm not a believer anymore. Um, And I've gone for a buttload of therapy about it. But like, I can't deny that it was one of the most impactful books of my life. Um, When I was in university, no, when I was in graduate school, Kingston had these like three or four used bookstores that were incredible. And again, because they had that university there, people buying all these great books for courses but they're going to leave. They're not going to take all their books with them. So they all end up in these used bookstores. Mm-hmm. And so you can get these like wicked books. That was where I picked up Jane Rule. And it's funny because when people would say, what's the first lesbian book you ever read? And I would always say in playing the role of herself. 
It's like, that's actually not true. Cause I forgot mm. that there was a period where I stumbled on Jane Rule's books and didn't know why I was drawn to them. Of course, <laughs> until later. <laughs> uh, oh, right. Cause uh, you know, closeted yeah. to myself as a queer person. And so, yeah. And playing the role of herself was the first lesbian romance that I read. Hoosier Daddy was probably the first by Anne McMahon and Salem West. That was the first queer book where I truly saw myself because the lead character felt so much like me. Like, of mm -hmm. course, it's in Indiana. It's not in southwestern Ontario. <laughs> but like the places it's describing, like the fact that it's like, yeah, auto workers, like all the people in my family. Unions, that's a thing we talked about a lot. Feeling like you don't fit as a person in that community. I never felt like I fit in mine. And so it was just kind of really beautiful. And then I think the last one, probably the most recent one would be the subtweet. Because I love those complex stories with messy endings. Mm. And that like to go deep into a bunch of uncomfortable topics and then you walk away and it's like what happened it's like it's like somebody ripped the tablecloth off my table and didn't move anything first <laughs> it's like Whoo! i love books that make me feel like that so those are probably the biggest most impactful ones i know that's a big list but that given that list. i've read thousands of books <laughs> right. i did my best you did a good job narrowing what it down what about you what about the books that have had a big impact on your life cuz you also can bring not just the reader spin, but you can bring the writer spin because I haven't written any books. Well, so, you know, as you were thinking and you were listing off and I, and I was thinking myself, I was taking notes because I forgot about books like Flowers in the Attic. Ooh, yeah. That like not necessarily good, but really made an impact. I mean, that yeah. was just such a warped series. Yes. That I still remember that. And it's not a good memory but it's a memory. And then that was probably like, uh, I think I read that series or at least like the first three or four. And then I was just like, why am I doing this to myself? So I stopped reading them. But <laughs> um, didn't she only write one or two of them anyway? Like no, she definitely was there the was first more. one. Oh, oh, you mean, oh, in the series who wrote it? I don't know. I don't know. Cause, Cause I didn't care back then. I was just reading to oh, read it. Yeah. And then I wasn't sure like who wrote it. I was just like, oh, here's the next one. Oh, here's the next one. And so that yeah. was kind of a thing. But like, I've always mentioned Sydney Sheldon, uh, Rage of Angels, like that whole series, uh, everything Sydney Sheldon. Uh, and I, I, my dad, he had the books on the shelf. And mm. my sister and I, you know, we grew up without television. That's probably why I watch it all the time now. Yeah. Um, but we, we had books and we had library. We got to go to the library on Saturdays mm -hmm. and, but what, you could only check out a certain amount of books when you're a kid. And then I had nothing to read other than what was in the house. And so I could either read like the, my dad had some old spaghetti Westerns and I really wasn't mm -hmm. in the mood for that Louis L'Amour and, but he had some Sidney Sheldon. And so that really put, I, I, I loved it. I loved the romance aspect of it. And the fact that it was a thriller too. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was very, very in-depth. And I like books that are really, that that go layer for layer for layer. I love that. I just, and yes. I think it's just, and it's so interesting. And especially when it's not just a romance, but there's romance in it. So that was a good one um, for me, Annie Sidney Sheldon, but also Lord of the Flies. And this is kind of mm -hmm. both impactful for reading and writing. Because when I was a senior, one of our writing assignments was to either rewrite the beginning or rewrite the ending of a classic book. That was one of our assignments. Ooh. So I picked, um, I picked Lord of the Flies and I yeah. rewrote the ending. So uh, what did, was, okay. Do you remember what your ending was? My ending was, and it's been like a really long time since I've read the book, but I do remember that. See, now I'm like, I'm drawing the blank. So uh, who were the characters? There was Jack and who was, was it Edward? Yeah, Piggy, everybody remember. And Simon, Simon and mm -hmm. Piggy. I want to say it's Jack and somebody and I'm stalling and I'm stalling and I'm still stalling. I would have been so tempted to just like pick any classic novel, rewrite the ending and just like it. And it would just be like three words, no, four words. And they all died. Like the <laughs> <They> all died. <laughs> Oh, let me see. So it's Jack for sure. And I hate it when they like, don't tell you like, it's not like 
IMDb where you get the character cast characters right away. Now you got to dig through this. So long story short, Jack, I think was the good guy. I thought he was the bad, but I think now that I think about it, I think he's the good guy. And anyway, so I had it where like they, their lives as adults were so unsettled and it was because the knife that was in the book, it was still around. So I had it where like Jack was going back to the Island and he buries it in the sand to like, you know, put it, I don't know. So anyway, so I, and I remember like, yeah, to break a curse basically. Yeah. And so, and I think that was, that was pretty impactful, you know? And, mm-hmm. uh, and then in college, like one of my favorite books to hate, I fucking hate this book and I love it Yeah, is catch 22. Oh, I don't think I read it. Catch 22 is one of those books that makes you want to throw it across the room. I think I started it. Oh, fuck. But I can't remember why I bailed. Because it's so awful and good. <laughs> Here's the deal. So you read Catch-22 and you hate it the whole time. And sure. I, there was a time in my life where I forced myself to read a classic like every month or something. I don't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. But that was one of those books that I didn't have to read for anything other than for myself. Mm-hmm. So it took me forever to get through it. I just, I hated it so much. And then about like three months after I'd finished it, I was like, it dawned on me. I was like, that was the most brilliant book I've ever read. It was, it's one of those where you get it. All of a sudden it just clicks and it doesn't oh. click. At, it doesn't, it didn't for me, at least it didn't click until long after I read it. And subconsciously I was like going through it in my head until it finally like worked itself forward. And I was like, Oh my God, I get it now. I get it. Yeah. So catch 22 is a very impactful book. Sydney Sheldon, like I said, and as far as getting into romance, like I read all the historical oh, the yeah. bodice rippers, like all those, yeah, all yeah, of those. Yeah, yeah. I read a ton of those too. Cause so my mom read them and actually I remember the summer I turned 12. I said to my mom, not bodice rippers, but I said to my mom, Hey, can I read your Danielle Steele books? And she yes. kind of thought about it and was like, <laughs> Daniel Steele. This isn't that bad. So that's fine. So that summer, <laughs> like in the, in the two months that I had off of school, I read every single Danielle mm-hmm. Steele book that was published to that point. And then I read them all until as they were coming out, because my mom would always get them. And then I read them until they started to get like really, really weird. Cause there were a couple where, you know, oh, there was one. Yes. Where it was, yeah. You know, I'm not going to get into them. They were so awful. It's not worth remembering. <laughs> like, this, yeah. I, I mean, in terms of like objectionable. Oh, for sure. Matter. Yeah, not so- bad writing. But like for me, like Laverle Spencer was probably one of my oh, favorite yeah. authors in high school. I loved the tenderness of her romance. And then like Julie Garwood, did you read any of hers? I read a bunch of hers. That sounds really familiar. Yeah. Like I, a lot I read, history. yeah, I was going to say, I have read so many of them and we have a rainy day books and I would just like take them, don't, yeah. you know, put them, get credit and then get some more out. And I would just, yeah. they're all the same, whether, you know, it's plantation, whether it's, it's, you know, shipyard. I mean, there's always like a captain or like a, I don't oh, know. I read a lot of the British ones. Yeah. Like, I read a lot of the ones that took place in the UK. I, I think the only thing that is not good, like when we look back on that time period. That's horrible. Romance, <laughs> I'm so glad that we're out of there, but like 80, <sighs> 70s, 80s, 90s, especially 70s and 80s, horrible. where it's like, hey, the first sex scene is a rape. Oh boy, right. she falls in love with the rapist. Right, Woo! and they get married. Yes, oh, so far. that, or yeah, like exactly, like they fall in love with their captor and it's like soap opera is the same thing. It's that's what it is. It was oh, just yeah. Soap opera on on the page, really. Yeah. And then, of course, Stephen King, like I went through where I read like 22 books in a row of his. I just couldn't get enough mm-hmm. like like Stephen King, Dean Koontz, all those that have like a little bit of paranormal yeah. to it, yeah. you know, just not like over the top, but just enough to be like, that would be so cool if that really happened or if we could have yeah. something like that. So those were the most impactful, I think, that I've read. And then I think writing wise, I have written a few things that I'm very proud of for different reasons. And I've talked about it before. Like I love listen because it really, it showed the world, well, the world, the people who read my books, <laughs> it showed them that having mm-hmm. a, a mental disability is, well, is a, you, you, mean, have, you mean like a mental health? Yeah. Uh, mental health. I'm sorry. Disorder. Yeah. Mental health disorder. Thank you. Uh, anxiety, severe anxiety, which a lot of people struggle with, especially after COVID and like the whole Mm -hmm. shutdown, but, uh, to bring it forth and just say, Hey, you know what? It's okay that you have this. You still deserve love. And that was, that was my book. Like I, Mm -hmm. that was the closest 
to me because I do struggle with anxiety. And I just thought it was important to to tell the story. So that that was very impactful when I wrote that book because that was that was more of myself and, and any other book. Uh, and of course, Jolt, because that was the first one, you know, yeah. that I got a published contract on and it was a hot fucking mess. And I loved it. Oh, I haven't God. gone. I haven't to gone back day, to it. Don't go back to it. Like, don't like love me now. And just remember, like, Jolt was my first book, but don't go back to so it. So many fond memories of that book. Yeah, I'm going to leave them there. Thank you. But like, God. I just think of it as it's just kind of. <laughs> Cause I think when you started publishing, it wasn't that long after I started reading. And I just remember reading it and just be like, oh, I love this book. So and I, I just I can't, it. oh yeah. my gosh, that book. It's one of those. Yeah. I just can't go back to that. Uh, and then probably temptation because I think temptation Good really one. made an impact on uh lesbian community. I mean, like who knew that that was going to be such a taboo and, and necessary or people who wanted to read that kind of story. So mm-hmm. that was a that was a big surprise, and I love that I wrote that, and uh, I love that you know it has like a ton of reviews, and a lot of people read it and still do. So I still remember because I listened to that one. Mm. I didn't read it uh, with my eyeballs on my Kindle, and it was when and I listened to a big chunk of it in Palm Springs because I was at my oh. company's conference. And like, it starts kind of getting sexy. And I was like, oh, we're going to like turn that volume down. I don't know how <laughs> thick these walls are right. between the rooms. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a good one. That one just always makes me think of Palm Springs uh, because that's where I listen to. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, nice because a lot of people have been asking about the characters and that they are, uh, they're going to be in my September release. So I know. Yay. So that's good. So they're, they're making an appearance. It's like six years in the future from, from the end of temptation. So So good. Yeah. So good. Well, thank you, Harley, for the question. That was super. I had fun. That was fun. Yeah. That was a fun question. Yeah. All right. So Chris, what have you been reading or watching lately? Okay. So one thing I forgot to, to, I, that, that's why I got so excited because earlier I, I remembered that there was something I wanted to talk about Ooh. and it was Ted Lasso. Like, are you caught up? Oh. Have you watched any no, of it yet? None. Okay. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but I will kind of spoil it for you. Is it good? Yes. Hey, cause I've been a little concerned. I know, I know. There's a part of me that's like almost afraid to watch it because of that whole, like, God, what's his name? The yes. um, t- like taking a dark side, taking a turn yeah. mm-hmm. towards the dark side. I was like a little concerned about that because I really like that character. Yeah, they kind of turned to uh, fuck, I can't think of his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he doesn't really, he hasn't really made much of an appearance yet in this season. But oh, I will okay. tell you, I will tell you mm-hmm. this: mm-hmm. we have a queer character. Who is it? Is it a new character? It's a new character on the team. (gasps) Oh, okay. I know. So, yeah. All right. Yeah. So anyway, so, uh, yeah. So Ted Lasso, but also like, here's like something my mom and I did was we always watched together. We would watch uh, American Idol and we watched the Mm -hmm. voice. Mm -hmm. So I still do that because that's something that we did. And for some reason, and, and, you know, maybe it's just my situation, but for some reason, like American Idol, every time I watch it, it makes me cry. Yeah. Like they have the stories that come on and, you know, the, the hardships of some of the people and you're just like, oh my God, that's awful. Or, oh, that's so beautiful. And so I I cry every single time I watch it. So it's not one that I generally watch, but for, so people that subscribe to the newsletter would have seen gosh when would it have been one of the february issues i think that i included a link to oh, yeah. a youtube video of, oh my god the guy who did the song for his gay grandfather yes. and i'm watching this like i just watched this one video and i'm sitting there like a puddle like this is really yeah. beautiful like, they yeah that whole thing that yeah it's amazing like they are really plucking at the heartstrings this season mm-hmm. for sure for sure and you know and i like i like american idol because they got rid of Simon a long time ago. And so it's really, they really only showcase the good singers, mm. you know, before they would pull the really bad ones who thought that they were singing really well and make fun of them. And I never liked that. Yeah. And so they've changed that. So now it's actually enjoyable to watch because there's, I, I don't feel anxious 
you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's one, it's a lot, it's a lot more peaceful and, um, loving to watch, I guess, if that makes yeah. sense. That does make sense. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So it's a lot, it's a lot more, it's our, yeah, whatever. It's better. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's better. Thank you. I can't think of the word. Ah. <laughs> and so I know I talked last time about Alaska daily. Mm-hmm. And so last this week, I think was the last episode of the season. And so I read that they didn't renew it. Oh no. Yeah. So oh. I'm really sad about that because it just, when it was a really good show that brought I think maybe it was just too political for people. Maybe mm. if they if they did in fact cancel it, I've just read that they weren't going to renew it. But I don't know that it's true because they said, "Well, ABC really hasn't released that information." If that makes sense. So, yeah. but they said that there wasn't enough interest in it to begin with. Oh no! Um, that's but I a think shame. they also they put it like on a Friday night. I well, I don't even know what day it's on actually, but I just remember it's like. I'm always surprised when it's on because my DVRs mm-hmm. records it regardless. And I never remember. And then when I look at the, what I've recorded, I was like, Oh, a new episode dropped. So it's on at a weird time. So mm-hmm. I don't think it really had, it really Much wasn't given chance. a chance yeah, to survive. So anyway, so what about you? What have you been reading or watching or doing? Oh my goodness. All the things. Cause I don't know if you heard, but I got COVID and I can't go anywhere. So <laughs> <laughs> of course, obligatory drag race season 15 mentioned we're down to the final four and i realized that like as much as i want sasha colby to win because she's so fucking great i also kind of don't care who wins like they're all they're all great if any of them Mm -hmm. wins i'll be like yes good for them isn't that wonderful and i also realized this week or maybe i realized this and said this on a previous podcast and i've forgotten already because i don't know if you heard that i have COVID. (laughs) 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 maybe my brain's not working the best but like I think this season actually ended up being kind of not great. Hmm. It's probably one of my least favorite seasons, but also I love the Queens so much. So it's this very strange, like I really, really like the Queens. I don't think I'll ever bother rewatching it though, because the way the episodes were constructed was so meh, I guess. Hmm. I know. I know it's a super bummer. So anyway, I don't even know what's out next. I'll watch whatever it is when it comes out. I finished Next in Fashion. Oh, um, I really, really liked it. I liked it enough that it could very easily be an official recommendation, which is going to be a theme. I've seen, I watched and read like so many things that could have been official recommendations that just mm. take like everything I say, except for Drag Race as a recommendation, I guess. <laughs> The thing that I found really surprising going from season one to season two, I guess there was this whole like little pandemic that happened in between the two. So it's Tan France in both with Alexa Chung in the first season, Gigi Hadid in the second season. But like, it feels like very different shows because Hmm. the first season, the kind of big twist they did, which I thought was kind of cool, was they started out with so many designers that they paired them. And then partway through the season, they're like, and now you're doing this as individuals. But it was very like, denim is the theme this week and suits are the theme this week. And it was just very Mm. like fashion designing. And then the second season just felt like every episode had some kind of a gag or a twist to it. So it was almost like they remembered, Oh, Hey, we're a reality show. Like we got to throw all those gags in. We got to like, yeah. So it was good, but also there was like, we're going to do a look and you're going to use fresh flowers. And I was like, I mean, that's cool, but also why? (laughs) Right. What? Hmm. But I did end up really, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a little fun. I hope they bring it back. The next one, if this film were queer, it would be my recommendation probably of the year because it was so freaking good. So I told you last time that I started watching films made in India. Right. And so this is one of them. Actually, they filmed most of it in Spain. But it's called Zindagi Namalegi Dobara. If you talk to anybody from India, they say it like 50 times faster than I just did. But I'm doing my <laughs> I was like, best. That was pretty slow, but good for you. I'm doing my best. It's a film from, I think, 2011. It's a road trip film with three men. Uh, one of them is supposed to be getting married. And so it's these three guys that were best friends in childhood. And so to kind of like the the bachelor the bachelor trip is this like a few weeks uh, road trip in Spain. They each choose one extreme sport to try out. And 
they don't tell each other what it's going to be so that there's no way that they can say no. And so they show up and like the first one they go to is diving. Well, one of them doesn't know how to swim and is afraid of water, Mm. but it ends up being this like really transformative experience for him. Another one is skydiving and one of them is afraid of heights. And again, it's this really transformative experience for him. And like, it's one of those movies that's really all about like seizing the day. Who are you? What is, what do you want your life to be? Forget what your friends and family and society have told you. What's important to you? What's your life going to be about? And like the acting is incredible. The character arcs are incredible. The cinematography is gorgeous. And I know I just said it was about three men, but like it does not feel dude bro-y at all. And I think it's because the director is a woman and it was written by two women. And it was one of those movies that like as I was watching it, I felt like my foundations were being shaken. It just was so profound. And so if you can do subtitles, highly, highly, highly recommend this one. You will need subtitles because it's mostly in Hindi, although they go back and forth between Hindi and English. But it was just so good. And I was so excited to hear there is a sequel that is Mm. being made and it is mainly female cast. So I'm super, super excited about that one. The other thing I watched, which was going to be my official recommendation today. And then I read a graphic novel this morning and was like, whoops. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's a 2016 HBO documentary and it's called Suited. And it's a behind the scenes look at a Brooklyn tailoring company called Bindle and Keep. And so we see it really focuses on, um, so the two people that run the business are Ray Tutera, who is a non-binary person and Daniel Friedman, who is actually like a straight cisgender man. He's the founder of Bindle and Keep. Ray came in one day and said, hey, I want a suit because I'm having a hard time getting one. And that interaction changed this business forever because now they make suits mostly for trans men, queer women, non-binary and gender non-conforming people. You know, Daniel thought his tailoring business was all going to be like straight dudes, Wall Street, whatever. And then Ray walks in and is like, Okay, but what about all these other people that want suits? And so you see kind of the split of the business. And so Daniel does everything to do with the tailoring. So he's like taking the measurements and getting the suits made. And Ray really handles that human side of the equation and making sure that all these people feel seen and someone's really listening to them. And so it follows, you know, there's a trans man who's getting a suit for his wedding. There's a trans boy whose grandmother brought him there to get a suit for his bar mitzvah because he's not getting a bat bat mitzvah. He's getting a bar mitzvah. mitzvah. Nice. There's a newly out trans man, like he's only been out for about six months and he's getting a suit. So it'll be easier for him to find a job as a lawyer because there are a lot of, you know, he was applying for so many jobs. I think he's in Atlanta and it's hard to get anyone to take him seriously as a trans man in 2016. And there's this other non-binary person who wants a suit for their 40th birthday. I might be forgetting one other person, but the thing that I loved and Neil really loved this one too, actually, we watched it together and it shows For all these people, there's that journey from skepticism about like, is this really going to work? Can you actually make a suit that shows my body the way I want it to be shown? Mm -hmm. Can you, you know, hide the curves that that I want to have hidden? Can you bring out more of the masculine shape that I want to have to in the end where you see that gender euphoria when they see themselves in these suits and it's so beautiful. And we see that range, too, of, you know, some people have supportive families. So Derek, the trans man who's getting married, his mom or his parents are so supportive for him. Mm. And you even see like his mom. It was really great because she was talking about how some people don't understand. And her position is that, like, I don't have to understand everything and I don't have to love everything that Derek is doing, but I have to love him. And so even it shows him going in for gender confirmation surgery, like having a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I really loved there is you could see his mom was struggling because there is a risk with every surgery, no matter what it is, there's always mm-hmm. some kind of a risk. Mm-hmm. And you could see like, she's afraid for her baby boy, but she loves him so much that she's there. And it was just so lovely. And you contrast that with, the man I was talking about who's getting a suit so he can find a job. He's not talking to his mom anymore because his mom can't accept him for who he is. So I also love that it shows a range of body sizes 
And the thing that I thought was kind of cool, I went and read like a few kind of reviews and write-ups about it. And then the New Yorker describes Bindle and Keep as part atelier, part therapist's office. Mm. And it felt very much like that. So definitely, I think like, go check that out. Give it some love. It's an HBO documentary. It's really, really great. And then the last thing I read, which also could have been a recommendation, is a graphic novel called The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. It's so freaking cute. And I actually really loved the blurb. So I'm just going to read the blurb. Prince Sebastian is looking for a bride, or rather his parents are looking for one for him. Sebastian is too busy hiding his secret life from everyone. At night, he puts on daring dresses and takes Paris by storm as the fabulous Lady Cristalia, the hottest fashion icon in the world capital of fashion. Sebastian's secret weapon is his brilliant dressmaker, Francis, his best friend and one of only two people who know the truth that sometimes this boy wears dresses. But Francis dreams of greatness and being someone's secret weapon means being a secret forever. How long can Francis defer her dreams to protect her friend? Chris, it's so lovely. It's so sweet. And the art is so good. And it has the happiest, most wonderful ending. So I think if people want a graphic novel, go get it. It's so cute. So that's what I've been reading and watching. Like all good things. Like what an incredible week. Wow. For... Yeah, it sounds like it. Right. Yeah. For stuff. Yes. So, Chris. Yes. What is your official recommendation? Well, before I actually give you my official recommendation, I looked, I, I was uncomfortable with the names I mentioned in Lord of the Flies. And Jack was the asshole and Ralph was the good kid. I thought oh, it was no. Edward, but it's Ralph. Yeah. So, Jack is the uh, jackhole and um, yeah. And Ralph is the good kid. So I just wanted to clear that up because Mm. I screwed up. So my official recommendation is a show on Apple TV called shrinking. And I'm going to read the blurb. Jimmy is struggling to grieve the loss of his wife while being a dad, friend and therapist. He decides to try a new approach with everyone in his path, unfiltered, brutal honesty. Can he help himself by helping others? Will it bring him back into the light? So this show is, is a, it's about human connection and how we're all flawed, even when the world thinks we're okay. And it's hilarious, even if the situations aren't funny. Um, there's a lot of dark humor. Uh, there's a lot of quippy lines, quippy dialogue. You know how I am about dialogue. Oh, yes. Um, so Jimmy is played by Jason Siegel. I think that's how you pronounce mm-hmm. his last name. He's been on so many different things. And I think we've talked about him before. He was in like Forgetting Sarah Marshall or something like love, that. Yeah. Love, love. He was definitely in that one. He was also in uh, How I Met Your Mother. Yes. Yes. That's probably the two biggest. Yes. So he was in that. He, okay. So Jimmy is played by him. He is a therapist who works at the cognitive behavioral therapy practice owned by Paul, who is played by Harrison Ford. Very cool. Like this, an incredible cast, by the way. And there's also Gabby. She's in the practice and she's played by Jessica Williams. So basically what happens is we're jumping into Jimmy's life a year after his wife dies. And we witness his suffering on so many different levels. Everything in his life is suffering. His job, his family his daughter, his friends, Mm. Um, like he has zero relationship with his daughter because she had to take care of him for the last year because he thought that only he should be allowed to grieve over the loss of his wife. And he didn't even think about like his daughter. She's 16 years old and she's like having to take care of him. So she didn't really get to properly grieve. So she has a lot of anger towards Mm him. So he has, so we're dealing with the relationship with his daughter and uh, and then at work, he has what Paul has called compassion fatigue from mm-hmm. listening to the problems of all of his patients. So he's kind of teetering on what he's learned and then what people really need. So he's just tired of doling out like all the normal, you know, therapeutic advice. And he just decides to fuck it. And he starts telling his patients raw advice, like instead of having them figure it out for themselves, themselves, he just like, okay, this is what you need to do. Like one patient, he dates only superficial women and can't decide why his relationships fail. I mean, every (laughs) week he goes in, he's like, I met this woman and she's beautiful and she just doesn't like me and I don't know why. And so he ends up showing up at one of the dates. And like the woman excuses herself to go to the restroom and he shows up, he goes, you weren't telling me the truth in therapy. He's like, you know, you're kind of a douchebag. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really interesting. 
uh, it's very unorthodox. And like this, mm-hmm. is, there's a, one of his uh, patients is a, a military. I'm not quite sure. I don't think he's still in the military, but he has anger issues. And so what he decides to do is he's like, let's just go beat the shit out of somebody. But he takes him to a boxing like gym so that he could get out his anger that way in a physically in a mm. controlled area where, you know, he's not going to go to jail for beating somebody up. So he's coming up with all these really different ways of treating people. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And mm. like there's this one there's this one situation that happens and that's, and I actually just finished the season today. I just watched the, which I th- I think it's the season. I honestly don't know. I think, I think it's the end of the season because if it's not like, wow, what a way to end it. Just yeah. a regular episode. So, so the whole queerness that comes into play into shrinking is that Jimmy's best friend, Brian, who's played by Michael Yuri, he's gay, of course, and he's a lawyer and Jimmy hasn't talked to him for a year, like won't take his calls just doesn't want to hear from his friend because his friend is super positive. Everything goes his way and he just didn't want to hear it. He wanted to grieve and he wanted to hit rock bottom to work out his feelings about losing his wife that he didn't want to hear his best friend say, Oh, you know, whatever advice he was going to say. And like Mm -hmm. his friend, Brian always says, everything goes my way. Everything goes my way. And he's true. Everything goes his way. And it it was kind of interesting and kind of in bad taste. But when Jimmy says, you know, I couldn't talk to you because you always say everything goes my way. And that didn't happen with, you know, with my wife. And he's like, well, everything goes my way. It doesn't go your way. So I know (laughs) it's like some brutal, like brutal words are happening in this, in this series, but it's still so good. The writing is incredible. And like Brian he seems like everybody seems like they have their shit together, but nobody has their shit together in any of this. And that's true life. None of us have mm-hmm. our shit together. And so Brian, he, he's like, okay, I'm going to ask my boyfriend to marry me. And they're like, okay, sure. Because he's said this several times to all the friends and nobody believes him. Like mm-hmm. this is the time. Sure. It is. How many more bachelor parties are we going to have type thing? So he, he says, no, I'm really going to do it. I'm really going to do it. So he has commitment issues and everybody knows this. Like, you just little by little, you learn that, that people and like the people in his life and Jimmy's life, they're his real family. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they all have issues and problems, like I said, and they all make bad decisions, but they're still on the, the right side of life and they're perfectly imperfect. And I love all of them, especially the neighbor, Liz and her husband, Derek. It, it's hilarious. Brilliant. Love them. Um, so if you like Ted Lasso shows like Ted Lasso or mm-hmm. just kind of dark humor or just even decent people that have relatable problems, um, then watch the series. Like the cast, you'll know everybody in the, in the whole show. You'll say, oh, yeah. I remember this person from this show and this person from that show. So, uh, yeah, it's really good. I, I started off and I thought like the first couple episodes were just like, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. this guy's a total, like he is he's kind of unhinged, barely hanging on. Yeah. But it's a really, it's a brilliant show. And I, I do recommend it. I think it's really good. Ooh. Okay. I'm glad you said that. It's one that I was interested in. I do mm-hmm. like Jason Siegel quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I find him like really, really quite charming. He does comedy well, but he can do serious moments well. Mm-hmm. So that's like the, you will like it. You will like it because of the dialogue, the interactions mm-hmm. between characters whether they're they're in the role of therapist or if they're just in the role of like people like mm-hmm. loved ones in your life it's just it's just I love it and like I'm watching it so so I because I have finished it today but mm-hmm. then I went back to see the first episode because I hadn't seen the first episode in like three months so mm-hmm. knowing everything I know now after seeing it all the difference made all the difference recontextualized like, everything. yeah it really did and like I was laughing from I mean, it's not like, ha, 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 that's so funny. It's just one of those where it's like, that's genius. That kind mm-hmm. of genius funny. So yeah, it's really good. So good. Yay. So what about you? What is your official recommendation for it this week? Okay. So like I said, until about <clears throat> four hours ago, it was going to be suited. So sorry. Which suited. sounds amazing. And I will probably end up watching that because that sounds really good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Truly. I do recommend it. But then I read 
It's an autobiographical graphic novel. It's called Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe. I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, I only just realized I should have looked it up on YouTube or something <laughs> like that. What I did look up on YouTube was how to pronounce the author's pronouns um, because the author is non-binary and uses Spivak pronouns, which are E, Air, M, etc. Pronounced like E, E, I, R, sorry, not pronounced, spelled E, E, I, R, E, M, that kind of a way. I'm going to be using them a lot going forward. It's going to sound a little unusual, probably to you, to some of our listeners. It was definitely unusual to me as I was writing out the notes um, mm -hmm. because I was defaulting to they, them pronouns sometimes. Right. Like, nope, delete, delete, delete. Because that's my bias. That's what I'm used to. But also mm -hmm. just want to put it out there as a reminder to some people, they, them are not the only pronouns for non-binary people. There's a whole range. So look out for some Spivak pronouns. So this memoir begins with a little prologue that I thought was really interesting about how when the author was doing air graduate degree in comics, it was really difficult because this program required doing memoir work, which, you know, E didn't want to do because it was going to require diving into air demons, which are all about gender. So things like, you know, related to body, bodily functions, all of these things. But then, of course, you turn the page and you get this full-length memoir, which chronicles air relationship oh, with so cool. air gender. Yeah. I like that. And so we see that even from a young age, he knew that you felt joy when people expressed confusion about air gender. Like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? And like, those were the moments of euphoria that would come up. Not the, oh, yeah, you're because you know, the author was assigned female at birth. And so it wasn't, you know, when people are like, oh, well, she blah, blah, blah. No. Or, you know, occasionally when assumed to be a boy, that was kind of exciting because mm -hmm. it provoked this gender confusion. But we also see a lot of difficult moments in this person's life when, you know, major dysphoria kicks in and because it because it starts from childhood and goes through puberty and goes through kind of those college experiences so we see how hard it is you know getting getting our period developing mm. breasts and having to figure out what to do with those pap smears pap smears actually come up a couple of times as these like really deeply horrific experiences and then we also see sections that are devoted to the way he struggles to figure out why, you know, there isn't that same experience of sexual desire and attraction that most of the people around him are feeling in the same way, especially like in air teens and in air 20s. And we see those kind of first tentative steps into dating in air 20s. And at times also, like, the thing that I thought was really interesting was the first label that he embraced was bisexual. That was the first kind of coming out to anybody about anything. But it was only later, actually, so we see that kind of coming to understand, oh, I'm attracted to different, like, multiple genders, but actually, I don't experience sexual desire in the same way. And so we see that kind of, like, journey with the understanding asexuality, too. And so, you know... <laughs> It's interesting because it's a memoir, it's not the same. Like there is a story arc to it, of course, because memoirs still have story arcs, but it's very different from like, say, the plot to a novel. Mm -hmm. And we see a lot of like, oh, um, you know, like air re really, really drawn to fantasy stories, like a voracious reader in childhood and, and into adulthood. A lot of fantasy stories, a lot of queer stories, a lot of gay fanfic. Like a lot, a lot of gay fanfic. And even having that confusion about like, okay, I don't really feel a lot of desire, but why do I love reading all this like super gay fanfic all the time? And I think, you know, I ultimately found this story to be really, really poignant because the author is really fighting against himself as much as the people around him as he figures out what he needs to do to live comfortably in her body 
Like it's so hard, like seeing that struggle on the page of like, I'm not comfortable in my body. I don't like my body. Mm. I don't sports bras aren't doing enough to cover my breasts. Going to the doctor is a horror show, but also how do I get my mom to understand that this isn't about you or getting other people to understand what this even means? Like it's really hard for a lot of people to understand what non-binary right. means and seeing that it's not just a struggle with other people, but actually with the self too. Like I found that really beautiful and heartbreaking in spots, I think, because some of the, some of the imagery, like especially um, the imagery around the first pap smear Ugh. is quite, is very striking and it's kind of jarring mm. because the experience is described as like feeling stabbed because this is also a point in which, you know, this person has never tried penetrative masturbation. And it was a very clarifying, like, nope, I don't like any kind of penetration of any kind. Not that a speculum is the same as a, as a sexual encounter, but it's still good to, you know, know that about yourself. And it's represented as on the page is almost like this spike coming mm. in through the body, like stabbing, stabbing the body through the abdomen. And I was like, whoa. And this is going to sound like an aside, but I swear it's related. So we have kind of a rule with our kids that we'll let them read almost anything they want within mm -hmm. reason. Pardon me, because, you know, that was something that Neil Gaiman talked about with his kids, because it's better to, like, talk to them about it than not. But our eight-year-old expressed an interest in this book. And I was like, I'm going to read this one first. Um, and I would say even people who are doing this kind of thing taking that kind of an approach with their kids, maybe read it first yourself. I think mm -hmm. it would be a great book for our kid to read in a few years. But some of the way the author talks about that relationship with the self and the body is so violent mm -hmm. at points in a way that I absolutely recognize is fully true mm -hmm. for um, an air experience. But I think is a little too much for even a highly precocious eight-year-old. So as I said earlier, I love things that don't have easy endings. And this is another one of them. Mm. It does not end as everything is amazing and I'm 100% comfortable all the time, all the time. But we do see that like a ton of growth in embracing self and embracing a sense of personal style that makes them happy. But also the thing that I loved about it not having this like perfect wrapped up ending is that it's a reminder that this is actually a story that is still in progress. This is being, you know, this was written by somebody who I believe at the time was in air late 20s, at most early 30s. Like, yeah, coming of age, in a way, it's sort of kind of a coming of age story, but like coming of age can happen multiple times in one's mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and in multiple ways. And so there's a part of me that kind of hopes that someday we're going to see some kind of a follow on, even if it's an essay, even like it doesn't have to be a full length book, but just kind of the, yeah, I want to know, right. I want to know what's next. And the other thing that I kind of loved and, and really came to me as I was like writing the notes for my contributions to our conversation today was realizing that this story felt like it could have been like the full, full backstory of somebody who would go yeah. and get a suit at Bindle and Keep. Wow. Yep. So like there, yes, they are different pieces of media, mm -hmm. but to me, they feel quite spiritually aligned. And so I think if people were inclined to read genderqueer and watch Suited together, I, I think there's a spiritual kinship between these things. That's really, really interesting. So I would say it's quite a fast read. Like, I think it only took me an hour or two to read oh, the wow. whole thing cover to cover. But it's a really beautiful, impacting, occasionally heartbreaking, mm. but well worthwhile to pick up. So yeah, if you can get it from your local indie queer store um, or get it from your local library, 
if you must. I mean, I know for some places, Amazon is the only place you're going to be able to get something like that from. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as much as possible, support your local queer indie store if you have one. Yeah, that's my one for this week. What's it called again? What's the title? It is called Gender Queer. Okay. And we'll put the title with the author's name in the show notes um, as per the usual. But it's really, yeah, just fantastic. I think it's one of the, it's one of the more moving things I've read recently. I find there were like little bits I sort of kind of identified with. But for the most part, it was just this. I really appreciated the vulnerability in putting that kind of a story out there into the world. So yeah, just thank you to the author. I doubt Eric going to listen to this, but if it happens, thank you (laughs) for sharing your story. Yeah. So that is all for this episode. Thank you to everybody who listened. If you've enjoyed the show and you haven't already, please make sure you've subscribed in your podcast app so you'll get notified whenever we release an episode. Like I said before, if you have a friend that you think would like the show, please tell them all about it. Or if you want to support us, we have links in the show notes to our coffee and our newsletter sign up. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that as well. Uh, or you can search for Clearly Recommended on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter, or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. One thing I okay, I just remembered something. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so no, yeah, so no, that's so I just I've been uh enjoying the nice weather. Like I said, I went to a baseball game and that's about it. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean good to I, me. I have a deadline coming up and I really need to push hard on it. And somebody's there. Hi. Somebody's getting in trouble. Tara's got her mean mommy face on. I know. It's nice now. She's smiling. I can't read lips, though. (laughs) She silenced me so that nobody can hear. Maddie wanted to know if she could have an unhealthy snack. And I said, yeah, but you got to get it for yourself. And she goes, oh, no, but I want popcorn. I said, nope, you can't have that. But like, honestly, just get it. Whatever you can get it for yourself, that is what you can have. She goes, okay. And then she paused and she was like, oh, no. Whoever you're recording with, can they hear this right now? And I said, no, I muted. And she goes, oh, good. <laughs> and then the big old thumbs. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a mean mommy look. I was like, what's happening? Well, because I told her not. To, I told her I was come on. not to come in. <laughs> Gets. But I appreciate that she asked and she knows that three That's o'clock sweet. is unhealthy snack time. And so anyway, do you want to read the listener question or do you want me to do it? Uh, I'll read the listener question. Yeah.